It's our last supper service. And in this service, we remember the events of Holy Week leading to the passion of Christ. In other words, leading to his death, to his burial, and the story doesn't end over there. Word is resurrection. Amen. And uh, so we are here to remember that and to celebrate that. The Gospels speak much about this week. We are in what is called the Holy Week. Started last Sunday with, uh, you know, Palm Sunday and goes all the way to Resurrection Sunday. We are, we are now in Holy Week. And um, do you know that a third of the Gospels is dedicated to this one week in Jesus' life? Now listen, Jesus, he, he lived just over 33 years old, you know, when he went up to, to heaven. He lived over 1,740 weeks on this planet before he went back to heaven, okay? Over 1,740, it's more than that, okay? And the Gospels tell the story of these 1,740-something weeks. And yet, one-third of the Gospels is spent on this one week of the life of Jesus, why do they do that? You see, this week was pivotal in his life. It is the events of this week which changed everything and changed history. It cut history into B.C. and A.C. Yeah, I know these days I want to have a fancy words, you know, what? Common era, you know, before the common era, A.C.E. But everybody knows we're talking about Jesus, man. Before Christ and after Christ, no matter what they say. Jesus changed history, affected history. His life was wonderful. And so, this is the week which changed the world. And it is a defining week in the life of Jesus. So, tonight, my theme is, uh, kids, be careful, eh? Snakes in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Snakes in the desert. And you say, Pastor... What is a slang to do with Easter? I mean, if I said bunnies in the backyard, it might sound a bit more acceptable, you know, since we love chocolates and so forth. But anyway, uh, you might find the snakes in the desert an unusual title for a message on Easter weekend, but you will soon see the relevance of this title, how relevant it is, and it wasn't my idea. Jesus made it relevant. He spoke about it, okay? So I'm going back to his story. And what we're doing today, normally on, on the Thursday night, we kind of concentrate on the events of that Thursday night, but today we're kind of going to start, we're going to start on Thursday night and kind of go way back in history, then come back again to Thursday and we'll end the service there again, all right? So that is what you're going to do. So what is Passover? The Passover is a feast, in, is a Jewish holiday, which is still celebrated today. What you're talking about today, you know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus got together with his disciples, they got together to celebrate the Passover. That's what the Last Supper is all about. And like they had been doing for hundreds of years, in fact, over a thousand years, the Jews had been doing this, that night they got together to, to celebrate the Passover. What is the Passover? Jews celebrate Passover as a commemoration of their liberation by God from slavery in ancient Egypt. And a freedom as a nation under the leadership of Moses. 
an event that happened about 1,300 years before Christ, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And, and so that event was marked their history. And so until today, they celebrate that event. Now, throughout the years, they have been dominated by other nations. For a while, during the reign of David and Solomon, Israel was independent, was free, was prosperous, was the envy of all the nations around it. But then they drifted away from God again, and they did a bunch of things they shouldn't do, and they got scattered, and, and it's been domination over domination. Until 1948, when their independence was uh, declared of the state of Israel, and today they are independent, but as you know, if you read the news, they continue under pressure. There are nations constantly trying to dominate Israel. And that, I, I believe, will continue until Jesus returns. But anyway, so that is what they were celebrating in that Passover. Okay? And we remember tonight as that night when Jesus got together with his disciples. And uh, he started off by taking a towel and a bottle of water and washing their feet. Something unprecedented. Something that leaders didn't do. You know, uh, masters didn't do, rabbis didn't do, teachers didn't do. They had servants for that. The lowest house servant was the guy that washed people's feet. And of course, that night, they all came in, Jesus the Messiah and his boys, all the important guys, we are with Jesus, and they were Jesus' boys, and no one thought of washing anybody's feet because they're all important, you know. You're important people, don't wash other people's feet. And so Jesus, before going any further, he took a towel and started washing their feet and teaching them to be servants. In the kingdom of God, the way up is down. If you want to be great, you serve. Amen? If you want to take on leadership, you serve. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of servant leaders. No matter what your position is, all of us are servant leaders, no matter what we do. And that should be our attitude. And that was a, it was a night of teaching, a night of, uh, of sharing. And, and little did the disciples know that... Um, that would be the last meal that Jesus would have with them. It would also be the introduction of a new celebration. The same elements of bread and wine would from that day on be used to celebrate a new covenant, a new event. And instead of celebrating the liberation of the Jews by God from slavery, from that night onward, it would become a reminder of the liberation of all mankind by God from the slavery of sin and death. Amen? Now, most of us know what happened that evening. Jesus announced that somebody was going to betray him, and then Judas kind of stood out, and he left the room, and, and Jesus continued teaching that night. And much of that conversation you can read in the Gospel of John, from chapter 13 to chapter 17, you can read the conversation of that evening. Now, remember, the Jews, their day begins at sunset, not at midnight like us. So all those events in those chapters uh, 13 to 17, in fact, all the way till 19, 19 talks about his crucifixion, um, all those events happened in one day. Because they happened in the evening of Thursday right through the night. And in the day on Friday, he was crucified and he died about 3 o'clock and then he was taken down from the cross before the sunset. So all these events, and in fact, the book of John, almost a third of the book of John is dedicated to that one day in the life of Jesus. And I would really encourage you, especially tomorrow as you, as you reflect on the events of Easter, 
go through chapter 17 through to 19 of uh, the book of John and kind of relive all that happened in that one single day. Now, Jesus kept repeating that night that he was going to die. He kept on saying, I'm going to die. It's like the guys that don't want to believe this. I'm going somewhere, but where are you going, Lord? And so he spent much time preparing them for that event. In John 12, 20, 32 and 33, Jesus said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. This, these words were spoken in that week about one or two days earlier in the temple. So here he is on Thursday night talking about, guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave this world. This is it. I'm going. But it wasn't only that night. During that week, he had been talking about it as well. And in fact, in the temple, not only did he say he's going to die, but he described how he was going to die. He said, if I am lifted up from the earth, my death is not going to be here. It's going to be lifted up for everybody to see. And back in those days, there was only one type of death where you got lifted up. And it was on the Roman cross. And those Romans made sure that if you went up on a cross, you didn't come down alive. When they brought you down from that cross, baby, you were D-E-A-double-D dead. And so he started saying that. But you know what? Sometime earlier in his ministry, in a conversation with a teacher of the law, a man called Nicodemus. He was a learned man, and he knew the scriptures well. And he was having a conversation with Jesus, but Nicodemus was struggling to understand what Jesus was saying to him. This whole concept of, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is scratching his head. He's, he's probably a full-grown man. And, and, and he's looking down at himself. And he's thinking of his mom, which was probably a Jewish little lady like this. And he's saying, Rabbi, doesn't make sense to me. How on earth am I going to get back in there to get born again? And so Jesus, so he's not getting through to this guy. So he better elaborate a bit. And so he said the following to Nicodemus. And you find this in John 3. Verses 14 and 15. He said to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When he said, said this, everything, lights came on into Nicodemus' head. Because he understood. He knew the Pentateuch. He knew the story of the Jews. He knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Now, we don't talk often about the story. I don't know how many of you remember the story. So we're going to go back there and, and elaborate this and, and, and remember this little story. You see, the Jews had been going through the desert. Moses had been leading them through, through the desert. And they've been going, going, going. And the desert is a rough place. It is dry. You know, it, and they've got no water. They've got no food. They're eating this manna, this food that God is giving from heaven. Now and then, Moses causes water to come out of a rock, and they enjoy some water. But towards the end of that journey, they're really, really, really getting frustrated. 
And so it comes to a certain point in the desert, and they start moaning and groaning and complaining, and they start turning against God and speaking against God and against Moses. Like, Moses, why did you bring us out in the desert to die? Back in Egypt, we were slaves, but man, at least we had good food, okay? At the end of the day, we came home, we had food, we had a soft bed to sleep in. If it rained, we had a roof over our heads. And look at us in this desert, man. We're suffering, man. How would you think you are now to take us out of our comfort? Okay? And began to talk about God, this food that you get us. Like, this food, referring to the manna, the food from heaven. Huh? So Moses wasn't very impressed with this, and, and neither was God. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 to 9, and let's, let's read the, the story there. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Have you ever been discouraged? You're hoping to achieve something, you're hoping to get somewhere, and you just never seem to get there. Whether it's a target, whether it's a financial target, a, a personal goal, whether you're driving on holiday and that place never seems to reach and your kids are at the back, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Anyway, they started getting very discouraged. And the people spoke against God. Huh? Yeah, listen, I advise you not to speak against God because he's God, okay? And against Moses. And they started saying, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. They're talking about manna, worthless bread. Mm. And that manna was totally nutritious. It came every day fresh from the heavens, from the skies. You could eat as much as you want. You could make cakes with it. Very nutritional. But I suppose after many years eating the same food, you're going to get a bit tired. Eh? And so they're saying, this worthless bread. And so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Hey. Aren't you glad you don't live in the Old Testament days? That if you get upset with God, He kind of sends serpents your way. Now, they were eating the desert, and there were serpents in the desert anyway. It's like God went, and they went, man. And the snakes went ballistic. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that you will take away the serpents from us. Nothing like a little serpent to get people to repent. We should try this in church someday, man, I tell you. <laughs> so Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. That fiery serpent is because when they bit, it was like fire. It burned you, okay? That's why they're called fiery serpents. And say, make a fiery serpent. Look at one of these serpents and, and make one which looks like a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at the serpent, he shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, made of bronze, okay, and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, next time you go camping, please don't take a bronze serpent with you in case you get bitten by snakes. It ain't going to work. 
I'm going to make myself a black mamba, you know, out of bronze, and I'm going to take it with me because I'm going to the Drakensberger. And if they bite me, I'm going to look at it. Ain't going to work. You see, because the healing that day had nothing to do with the bronze serpent, everything to do with God who told Moses to make the bronze serpent. Follow, follow this now. Follow this now. Follow this now. All right? You see, sin has consequences. Rebellion against God and His Word still today has consequences. Like I said, not like this. And thank God the Old Testament days are gone. Otherwise, many Christians wouldn't be alive anymore. But sin still has consequences. Much of the evil we see in our country today and in the world today is simply the result of mankind rebelling against God. Hello? When you rebel against God, you destroy, you kill, you hoard, become selfish, become proud. You don't mind hurting other people so that you can come out on top. And so today, sin is still in this world, and we're still feeling its consequences. What is worse is that the consequence of sin is eternal. It leads to an eternity separated from God. Now, notice something, though. There was a consequence, a punishment for sin. The people could not save themselves from those serpents. They could not save themselves from the effect of being bitten by those vipers. Okay? Once bitten, they would eventually die. It was an excruciating pain, and then they would die. So, God himself prepared a way out. Healing in the form of a bronze serpent. And all they had to do was to look at it. That's all. No matter how weak they might be. Maybe they got bitten, they've been struggling with the thing, and now they're getting weak, they're getting weak. And then they look at the serpent and immediately they were healed. It didn't matter how far they were from that bronze serpent. The serpent could be here and they could be on the other side of the camp. If they get bitten, no matter how far they were, they just look at the serpent. <sighs> Relief comes instantly and they get healed from that serpent, from the bite, from the poison of that serpent. That means, guys, that that healing came from God. I mean, since when does bronze, you know, nullify the effects of a poison of a snake? That healing came from God. It was the act of obedience in, in doing what God told him to do. Look at the snake that Moses put up. And some of them said, oh, man, who do you think I am? I'm intelligent, man. I, I, I know that snake bite is not healed by a snake. I'm not going to look at the snake. I'm going to help myself. I'm going I'm to put my tie something over here. I'm going to take some blood out. You try and nurse yourself, and before you know it, kaput, you're gone. The only way to be healed was to believe this crazy thing which Moses is doing here, putting up this bronze snake, and look at it. That's all. Just look at it. Oh, that's too easy, pastor. Yeah, that's so easy. Just look at the thing, man. <laughs> and you will be saved. Are you guys connecting the dots yet? <laughs> Hallelujah. The people could not help themselves. The only thing they could do was look at that brown snake which was lifted up. Amen. Now, 
Of course, they learned their lesson, by the way. After this episode, they learned their lesson. They would never again rebel against God or against Moses, that bunch of people. All right? Uh, later on, their descendants rebelled again. But that particular group of people, for the rest of the journey, Moses never had problems with them again, okay, until they went into the promised land. This was the last time Moses had to deal with a moaning and complaining and their rebellion as well. Now, although during the Last Supper, Jesus did not talk about the snakes in the desert, there are parallels here in the story which he referred to and had referred to during the week and made a link to Nicodemus when he mentioned the story. And Nicodemus could connect the dots. And Jesus has been talking about this all the time. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to die, I'm, but I'm going to be lifted up. I'm not going to die in your death. I'm going to be lifted up like the snake in the desert. You see, there are parallels. There are parallels. And there's an application for us today. Sin still has consequences today. Amen? But they were bitten by poisonous snakes. We today are bitten by what? By sin. Okay? Isn't the devil called a snake, a viper, the serpent? And when he bites, he entices us to do sin. And sin has eternal consequences. They could not save themselves from the consequences of the bite. And tell you what, we cannot save ourselves from the consequences of sin. I don't care how goody-goody you try to be. Huh? We cannot save ourselves from the consequences of sin. The Bible says that we all have sinned. All in the original Greek in which Paul wrote is a very interesting word. It means everybody. You and I included. No one excluded. All means all because that's what all means. All right? All have sinned and are separated from God. And so we need salvation. Only God could save them in the desert. And only God can save us now. Amen? A bronze snake was lifted in the desert. And a cross with Jesus on it was lifted outside Jerusalem. Looking at the snake in obedience and faith was all it took. Save them from physical death. Looking to Jesus with the eyes of faith saves us from eternal spiritual death. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. And hopefully, hopefully once you have come to Jesus, like the Jews back then, will give up on rebelling against God and moaning and complaining all the time. Because you understand the work that Jesus has done for us and the salvation we've got in the Lord until we get to our promised land. Now, why did Jesus compare himself to the snake in the desert? The snake on a pole is a picture of God's curse on the people that day in the desert. That snake on the pole was a picture of God's curse on the people. Because of their disobedience. And so it was with Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, that for our sake, God made the Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And in Galatians 3, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So, in becoming like that snake in the desert, he was the embodiment of our sin. The embodiment of our curse. Amen? 
Because of sin, because of separation from God, we are under the curse of sin. And sin is going to kill all of us. Keep us separated from God. Jesus took your sin, my sin, upon himself. He took on that curse upon himself. He paid the price, the punishment for our sin. He took it upon himself. And on that cross, he took that punishment. He took away. That snake on the pole there in Moses' day, that bronze snake on the pole, it could hurt no one. It could only bring healing and salvation. Guess what, guys? Jesus on that cross outside Jerusalem, <laughs> he could hurt no one. And that's why people laughed at him. <laughs> Come on! Save yourself! If you're the son of God, do something, man. Come on, why don't you just strike us with lightning or something? <laughs> Jesus on the cross could hurt no one. And yet, you are saving all of us. You are staking all of our sin. He could only bring healing and salvation from that cross. The Last Supper of Jesus was time of, was time of fellowship, of, of food, and of, of teaching. It was supposed to be a celebration, a joyous time. But Jesus kept on bringing the conversation to this little topic of, hey, I'm going to die. You know, and we're having a lack of time. And remember, God raised up from, he set us free from Egypt. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm going to die. I'm going to be uh, taken up. And you see, that cross in the desert was a prototype, was an image, was a shadow of something to come. It was a shadow of the coming of Jesus, which culminated on that day, on that night, and that whole day. It began soon after the supper when Jesus walked away. To go to the garden to pray. And then they caught him there. And the whole drama began. But as we end today, let's go back to the, the snake for a while. Back to the brown snake. Uh, once the people had been saved from the snakes, they moved on. Okay? And uh, they walked the rest of the, to the desert, got to Jordan, crossed the Jordan, and went into the promised land. But here's the thing. They held on to that snake of Moses. As they carried on traveling through the desert, they held on to that snake. I mean, hey, come on, guys. They, you might find more snakes in the desert, right? So you carry that snake with you. And they carry that snake with them and, 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 and way past Moses into the promised land. And they kept on, kept on holding to that snake and holding on to that snake. They held on it long after Moses was dead and long after they had moved into the promised land. They held on to that old snake long after David had reigned and after Solomon had built a temple. They still holding on to that snake. Hundreds of years later, after the event in the desert, that bronze snake was destroyed by King Hezekiah. Why, Pastor? It was such a thing of beauty, and it meant so much. I'll tell you why. Hezekiah, he was the thirteenth king after Solomon. Okay, so during the Promised Land, a long time went by. David became king. Solomon came in. Thirteen kings after. It's a long time has gone by. Hundreds of years have gone by. And by the time Hezekiah became king, he had to destroy that snake. You know why? Because he wanted to bring the people back to God. By the time Hezekiah became king, Israel had drifted away from God again. And he wanted to bring the people back to God. And what they were doing is they had taken that snake, they had put it up, and you know what they were doing? They were worshiping the snake. Burning sins to it. 
it had become an object of worship. Instead of being a symbol, a reminder of something wonderful that God did in the past, that snake became an object of worship. An object of worship. 2 Kings 18.4. Look what it says there. King Hezekiah, he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehustan. Actually, the king called it Nehustan. Nehustan basically means a thing of bronze. So even instead of calling it a snake, he kind of just... It's that thing of bronze. Just that thing of bronze. Just, just get rid of it. And we go, ah, bad people, bad people. But it's still happening today. Huh? Still happening today. Today, you see, a, a symbol of the goodness of God, a symbol of the goodness of God had become an object of worship and had to be removed. The king destroyed it. He actually, he completely destroyed. There was nothing left of it because he knew if he just chucked it aside, everybody wouldn't want to get a piece of it and keep it as a relic. So he had to destroy it. And under Hezekiah, Judah regained, you know, its strength. And, and after the crucifixion, what's happening, guys? Christian symbols have become objects of worship for some people. Just like some of the Israelites were worshiping this thing, today, some people, maybe many people, they worship. Instead of using a cross or a crucifix or a Bible or a picture of Jesus to remind them of a story, they worship that thing. You see, this story, it reminds us that if we're not careful, Jesus himself can become an icon rather than the guiding force in our lives. It is possible to pay lip service to Jesus on a Sunday, in church, or even on a special Christian Holy Day celebration like today, or Christmas, or any other Holy Day. And then you go on your way when it's finished, as if who He is and what He commands means nothing to you. You just go on with life as usual. Friends, never let the cross or crucifix become an object of worship, but a reminder of what Jesus did for us. Don't worship the Bible. Read it and practice what you read. Some people, they think, oh, the Bible is so holy. They've got it in the shelf over there. And now and then they go and take it out and go, they put it back there. Oh, it's so holy. Uh-uh. Take it out. Read it. Do it. Hello? Don't become familiar with the Lord's Supper. Every time you partake of it, do it with reverence, with a repentant and humble heart, remembering what Jesus did and proclaiming it until he returns, knowing that he is coming back. You see, after that meal, before Jesus went out to face the suffering, 
He took the bread. And he took the wine. And he introduced communion. What is the difference between communion and Passover? Passover is a celebration of the liberation of the Jews by God from slavery in Egypt. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is a celebration and reminder of the liberation of all mankind by God from slavery to sin and death. And to this table, everyone is invited. Because Jesus paid the price for everyone. And all you've got to do is believe. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Ah, it's too easy, Pastor. No, man. I've got to do some stuff, you know. I've got to pay some penitence. I've got to suffer a little bit, you know. It's too easy. Those Jew boys in the desert, they found out that it's very easy to be healed. Just look. And many of us have found out, and I hope everyone here has found out, it's very easy to be saved. Just look to Jesus and believe. That's it. Then he begins to walk with us and empower us and help us to live for his glory. You see, that passage, that conversation with Nicodemus, and that talk about the snake, John chapter 3, verse 13 uh, 14 and 15, and it's followed by verse 16, which you all know. So after talking about the snake, and he says, whoever believes in him, or he says, Moses, lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Not just the Jews, the world. That he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. And you are here today, folks, to remember what Jesus did and to worship him. As we have communion now, we remember that last supper. That Jesus had. It was the last supper that he had commemorating the old covenant. It was the last time he broke bread with his disciples in terms of a meal like this. And he said, I'm going away. There began his night of suffering. He was killed. He was put in a tomb. Tomorrow is Good Friday. The only reason we call it Good Friday is because we know that there was a resurrection Sunday. Amen? Otherwise, it will not call it Good Friday. Because it was not a good, not for Jesus. It was good for us. Not for him. He suffered a whole lot. After that meal, when he walked out and when they got hold of him, go and read the chapters. And we've seen movies about it. We can only imagine how much he suffered that night. He was raised up on that cross. Made a shame. People looked. They couldn't even recognize him. So horrible he looked. And he died for you and me. But death could not hold him, amen? As we've sung just now. And on Sunday, we get him back together here 
and you're going to celebrate his resurrection and talk about the importance, why it's so important for us today that he is alive. We'll talk about that on Sunday. But right now, let us remember what Jesus did. And let us, in obedience, some people say, what is the point of doing this? We do this all the time. You see, looking at that snake looked something so simple, so insignificant. And yet, it was powerful when you did it in faith. This is so insignificant. It's just some bread, some grape juice. Oh, and some lovely grapes there as well. Mm-hmm. But when you do it by faith, something miraculous happens. You connect with that weekend and with what Jesus did. And you proclaim prophetically that one day there's going to be another communion service. And Jesus is going to be present just like he was present in that Lost Supper. He said there's going to be another one. And I'm going to be present and I am going to serve you again. And I'm looking forward to that day. And every time I do this, guys, I'm remembering and I'm anticipating. I'm proclaiming what he did and what he's going to do. And I rejoice today in what he has done in my life. Rejoice in what he has done in your life. And so Jesus, he took bread. And he broke that bread. And he said, take it. Eat it. This is my body. No, the bread is not going to become his body. It's a symbol of his body. But every time we take the bread, we become partakers of everything he did on the cross. He took the cup and he said, take, drink. This is my blood. We are not a bunch of what? Blood drinkers, vampires. No, we are not. It's just grape juice. But it reminds us of his blood because his blood was poured for our sins. Reminds us. And as we drink of this cup, we become one with what he did on the cross. So, can I invite you to stand up, please? Musicians, singers, come and stand on the table over here. And maybe take guys if you quickly want to go and, uh, and have, your, have communion as well first, you know, before the, the crowd goes through. Just go down there and have communion first. I'm going to pray, and, um, and then we're going to go into communion. Everybody in the house here is invited. You're welcome to come. to. There's a table in front. There's a table at the back. Go to whichever one is more convenient for you, closer to you. If you've got problems in, in getting there, don't worry. Just sit in your place, and somebody will come and help you. If you need help, just put your hand up, and somebody will come and help you. And um, let us partake of the bread and remember the broken body of Jesus. Let us partake of the cup. And remember, his blood shed for us. And as I said, you all invite. You believe in Jesus Christ, you come. Yeah, but pastor, I haven't been to church for a while. And then, listen, it's not about what you've done. Remember the snake? I don't care how weak you were, you could look at the snake, you'd be healed. I don't care how far you were from the snake, you could look at it and you were healed. Today, Jesus is inviting you to his table. I don't care how weak you feel, how far you feel from God. It's a matter of faith. Look to Jesus. Obey him. Come to his table. I'm not inviting you guys. Jesus is inviting you. I'm just his vessel, his servant. And so let's partake today with faith and with thanksgiving.
Lord Jesus, we remember today, we remember that night, Lord. Oh, Jesus. And it's difficult for us to understand the emotion, to understand the pain. Oh, to understand even the fear that you must have felt, my God. The anxiety, Lord Jesus. Because soon after finishing this meal, you went to the garden and, and your blood became like droplets of blood. Which is a sign of tremendous stress and anxiety. I guess we'll never understand it, Lord Jesus. But we are grateful. We say thank you, Lord. And in gratitude and in humility, we come to your table today. We thank you for this bread, Lord God. Which reminds us of your body that was broken for us. Thank you for this cup, oh God. Lord Jesus, reminding us of the blood you shed for us on the cross. And we take it with much gratitude today, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So I pray you bless it now, Lord God, and bless everyone that comes and partakes of it, Lord. Help us to have a greater understanding. Help us this weekend to have a deeper understanding of your love for us, my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.